Well, church, it is a blessing to be with you this morning. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12, continuing on in our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. But if you would stand with me, if you're able, to read Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if, he, if he, his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me in prayer again. Father, help us to have ears to hear, especially as we think about our own tendency to want to judge harshly, critically, and unfairly. May we have ears to hear. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, there is something within us that loves to evaluate and judge. As big tentpole movies become more and more successful in our culture, I mean, you see more and more billion-dollar movies, movies that make a billion dollars. You see more and more of those happening. So as that industry becomes bigger, there's another industry that is also becoming bigger, takes up a large corner of the internet, also much of my own YouTube feed, and that is movie criticisms, specifically making fun of all of the kind of weird things that you find in movies and things that don't make sense. We as a people, we love to criticize. We love to kind of nitpick and find all the things wrong with something. But it's not just movies. I mean, picture sports and politics. You have entire channels devoted to talking heads that, you know, in sports, days before the game, they talk about all the things that need to be done in the game, and then the game happens or the election happens, and then you have more days talking about what should have been done in the game or the election for whatever candidate or team to win. We love to criticize and judge and evaluate. We love doing all of that. Then we encounter today's passage where Jesus says, judge not. Judge not. What's that supposed to actually mean? Because we all judge things in our lives. It's even part of life. Like, we have to decide and be discerning. What the heck does Jesus mean? What do we do with such a command? Today, we hope to unpack all of this and discover what Jesus is telling us. Now, we have a lot of new people here this morning, and we have been in this series on the Sermon on the Mount. 
And it's called Greater Righteousness. Because we've been walking through and seeing how the Sermon on the Mount is about having a greater righteousness. Not this righteousness where I, I do a bunch of good things and somehow I'm, I'm, I have more good things in my life or I kind of pile them up in a pile of good stuff over here and I look at my pile of treasure of good things. Not, not like that, not that type of righteousness, but instead something within me, a love for the Lord that then results in my mouth and my hands all being in unison with one, with one another and with my heart. Basically, my heart loves the Lord, my mouth loves the Lord, and my hands love the Lord. Not just doing things out here that look spiritual and good, but instead having a whole person response to the Lord. Now, the Sermon on the Mount has three main teaching blocks. and We've been in it for a while, and today we're finally coming to the end of those three main teaching blocks. And this last teaching block stretches all the way back to chapter 6, verse 19. But the portion that we're going to see today... Jesus talks about a greater righteousness in the relationship we have with the people and the world around us. Last week we talked about money and the greater righteousness we need to have in relationship to money. And Jesus kind of continues similar themes as we look at our relationship with others. And as a matter of fact, he kind of builds his entire argument on the same premise, that we have a generous and gracious Father. We're going to see after Easter, we won't be continuing the series next week, but after Easter, we'll come back to the Sermon on the Mount and we'll finish out the sermon. There's three warnings, and so it'll take us two weeks to get through those, but that's where we're going in the future. But today, we're going to see how the Father's love affects how we interact with others. So, let's all dive in again, starting in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, This is the outside world's favorite saying of Jesus. You can't judge me. Jesus said, don't judge. I mean, it's right there. Judge not. Jesus did say that, all right? Judge not. But there becomes a danger when we take one sentence and we make it the totality of Jesus' teaching. These words don't exist in a vacuum. Jesus says them in a paragraph. And that paragraph is set in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So we can't make this the one thing Jesus says. We understand this verse by what comes around it. So let's talk a minute about what it means to judge. Because we generally take this word in our context and we say, oh, this means condemn. Don't condemn others. Well, that's certainly part of it, but the word has a a broader sense as, as well. It's not just don't condemn people. But we're talking about the whole realm of judgment where you discern and you evaluate and you decide. It's not just that final verdict of condemnation, but it's the whole process. Now clearly Jesus can't say you can't make any discerning evaluations, so what is he saying? A judge ultimately listens to and decides what's just and then dispenses justice what one commentator had to say about that. And he also said that, uh, one of the, he said, a judge also seeks to make things right. That's part of judgment, is it not? Finding what's right and pursuing that? Okay, so Jesus, don't judge? What? Now, as we talk about judgment, I'm going to use the word discernment a lot. I think that's a, a good parallel to what we find and may helps us, it'll help us kind of have the bigger picture of what Jesus is saying here. So I'm going to use that word interchangeably, judge and discern. 
Now, Jesus gives us the reason in verse 2 for why he's saying, don't judge. Well, it's because the measure you use will be measured against you. Well, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> this isn't really the way that we talk nowadays. Well, he's referring to the idea of a measure. And in the ancient world, you would take your measure, your container, that was called your measure, any kind of measuring device, whether it was like a rod that measured distance, that would be called a measure. But in this instance, we're specifically thinking about like a bucket. You take your measure to the market, and you would bring what you had to trade in your measure. So if you had a measure of wheat, you'd trade it for a measure of something else. So Jesus says, if you're bringing a small measure, well, that's what you're going to be able to receive. We're going to be weighing out what you receive with that exact same measure that you're bringing to market. That's the image that Jesus creates here with this. So he says, look, if you are judging whatever... Whatever measure you're using to judge, that's what's going to be used for you. Now, he's not speaking in the end sense with God. He's actually speaking with one another. The way you guys judge one another is how you will be judged. We've seen that the sermon is all about flourishing as well, that blessedness. Like, how ought we to be? What is the prosperous life? So Jesus here gives us another picture. He says, look, flourishing comes when you have a particular type of measure. Because that's what we are going to see in verses 3 to 5. Verses 3 to 5 really is explaining the bulk of what Jesus means when he says, do not judge, or judge not. Jesus gives this pretty crazy example, this vivid word picture, of somebody having a log in their eye, and being more concerned with a little speck of dust, which, yeah, it's annoying when you have a little speck of dust in your eye, and it may kind of blur your vision a little bit. But if you've got a log in your eye, yeah, you, you can't really see. And you're kind of hitting people as you kind of, you know, move around. So Jesus is, he, this is this absurd example that Jesus is using to kind of drive his point home when he says, do not judge. So Jesus, when you pair do not judge with this example, it becomes clear that Jesus isn't saying, hey, don't discern, or he's not saying do not have discernment or don't make evaluations and judgments because he ultimately says at the very end, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So it's not saying that we don't ever correct people or call out wrong, but he's saying, what type of posture do I have? Do I have a posture that assumes I'm not innocent? That's the type of posture I need to have. When I come to the conversation, when I'm approaching somebody and I see a speck in somebody's eye, I need to come into that situation with an understanding that, you know what? This person may have a speck, but there's something far worse in my own eye. Am I willing to take that first step to address what's going on with me? Do I have that humility, that poorness of spirit that we saw in the Beatitudes? Am I humble? Am I meek? We have the problem where we think we are innocent. Oh, there's no log in my eye. I can see everything. Well, we do not have that privileged position. That is the position that God alone has. He has no specks, and He can see clearly. Because we cannot see clearly, and because we, cannot, we are not innocent, ultimately, our judgments will never be perfect. That doesn't mean that we don't make them. 
But how we go about doing them needs to be done with humility. And that is what Jesus is pushing into when he says, do not judge. So, we as the church, yes, we need to be making judgments. We have to say harsh things sometimes, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But when we're told that, no, you can't make judgments at all, we need to say, well, I need to make judgments, but I need to have a spirit first that is humble and broken. Sacrifices to God that are pleasing to Him are a broken and contrite heart. Why do we judge as if we've done no wrong? Well, it's because we don't like to see our brokenness. We don't want to deal with the log in our eye because it's uncomfortable. You know, when you take the log out, that sounds painful. Being shown that you aren't innocent, being confronted is hard. Because sometimes you may feel to the deepest part of your soul that you haven't done anything wrong. But it's in those moments that God calls us to be a particular type of people that says, Lord, help me to see. Help me to see my own sin. Because we of all people, Christians of all people, should be able to have a posture that is quick to assume guilt. I think all of us, you know, we know. Yeah, there's broken stuff in our lives. Broken stuff. We should be quick to assume that. So here's our first point. The Christian should have gracious and fair discernment. I think that kind of sums up everything that I've been trying to communicate to this point. We need to have gracious and fair discernment. By gracious, I mean I approach with that posture of examining self first and not assuming that it's all the other person's fault or that it only has something to do with them, but that my heart needs examination. I'm gracious. I'm extending the benefit of the doubt when at all possible. But also fair. I recognize that I don't have all the answers or insight. That's that I don't know everything. I can't see clearly. I don't have all the answers or the insight. So I'm not jumping to conclusions. I'm seeking to explore and understand. So when Jesus says don't judge, he's not saying don't judge at all, but this example makes it clear that he's saying don't do it unfairly and without graciousness. Remember, Jesus has been using exaggeration, hyperbole throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He'll make an audacious statement, and then he kind of unpacks it with how it's actually supposed to be lived out. So yeah, don't have the type of judgment that somebody would look at you and be like, well, you're just judging me. We should approach it in a way that, oh man, this, this person, he confronted me, but he was so humble about it. He owned up to his own garbage. That's the heart that we ought to have. I've got two kind of application questions for you that you can process through as you think about your own life. And these come from author Dave Harvey. And here's the two things. Before I confront someone, have I done the work to examine my own heart and confess my sin? So before I confront someone, have I done that work? Have I examined my heart? Have I confessed my sin? Would I be willing to even confess my sin to this person I'm confronting? Have I examined my own heart? Secondly, when I am in error, would I want someone to correct me the way I'm about to correct somebody else? Like, ooh, if I'm I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'd want somebody to talk to me the way I'm about to talk to somebody, then maybe we need to reevaluate and talk in a different way. Now, there is a danger. When I take this call to be gracious and compassionate, to be fair, And then I never exercise discernment and never call out sin. Because that's what we get in verse 6. 
Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. In this last section of the sermon, a lot of commentators struggle to see how all of these things go together. It's almost as if Matthew is like, okay, I'm running out of time, and Jesus has all these ideas, but I'm running out of space, so I'm going to pick a bunch of things that he said, and I'm going to cram them all together just here at the end to rush through it. And we look at it, and we're like, how do these all go together? Like, what does verse 6 have to do with not judging? As a matter of fact, it seems to go against what we just saw. Jesus says, don't judge, and then he goes to call people some dogs and pigs. It's like, okay, Jesus, uh, um, I, ooh, I, what do I do with this? But I think the truth is Jesus is offering the counterweight to what he just said. He's saying, look, we need wisdom, and we can't just approach everything with, okay, I'm incredibly gracious and patient, and I'll do that forever and ever, amen. Jesus is basically saying there comes a time when what we need is the truth, and the truth is not always pretty. There comes a time when people reveal themselves as those who are unwilling to listen or change or even have anything to do with what God has to say. So we start with graciousness, but at some point that can become clear. And God calls us to give our attention elsewhere. Now that doesn't mean that if a door in the future with that person begins to open, that we don't try that door handle again and say, oh, is this door unlocked? Can I walk through it with this person? But it does mean that when people are being belligerent or they're refusing to hear the truth, we as the people of God are called to declare the truth and call them to repentance firmly. It's not an accident that this verse falls here. There's a tendency within our culture, you have on one side kind of the discernment blogging type thing where people just kind of pick at every error they can find in the church. And there is a, a need for speaking the truth. But that becomes what those people are known for. They are, they are known for finding what is wrong. But Jesus is not calling us to be people who are always finding what is wrong. We're called to something else. On the other side of the spectrum, you have people that are unwilling to call what is wrong, wrong. They are, they are unwilling to speak into our culture. They are unwilling to confront sin. They are unwilling to be persevering agents, salt and light in our world. Preserving agents and persevering. So you have those kind of people that people love to interact with. Them. Wow, you're really gracious and you know, you never correct me, and I kind of like that. So you have these two camps that the church and us as individuals can fall into. And it's not like we have to find the happy middle ground. It's not the middle. It's not like these things are in opposition to one another. Grace and truth are not opposed to one another. They're not on the same spectrum. God is both grace and truth. They go together. We need a blending of them together. So it's not finding the happy middle. It's finding, how do I just have both faithfully? How can I be faithful to what God is calling, who God is calling me to be? I need to call out sin within our own body, absolutely, and in the outside world, but I also need to speak with humility. I don't do it from a source of pride. That's one of the problems that I personally have with a lot of the discernment bloggers is I never sense any sort of humility amongst them. And I have a problem with the uber-gracious crowd that is never willing to, to actually say, you know that there, that's not going to lead to flourishing. 
We need to understand what God's design is for sexuality, for family, for interactions with one another. All of those things. All right. We've got to get moving. Okay, main point two. Gracious and fair discernment is not an excuse for no discernment. Hope that's been clear through what I've been saying. Gracious and fair discernment is no excuse for no discernment. Ultimately, to know how to blend these two together, we need wisdom. We need wisdom. Wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. It comes from walking with Him for for a long time. It's not about knowing a bunch of truth. It's about knowing truth and understanding how to apply it. And so that is how, when we walk with the Lord, we grow in wisdom, and then we will know, okay, this is where I need to speak the truth. And I see that somebody is being a dog or a pig, and I can't just continue to cast pearls in front of them because they are unwilling to receive it and there may be somebody over here elsewhere that is willing to hear what God has to say. So I need to go find that person instead of wasting my time with this other one. But that all takes wisdom. It's becoming a particular type of person. All right. How do we grow in that? How do we grow in knowing the mix of gracious and fair discernment and harsh discernment, if you will. But even, I think sometimes it's harder to grow in gracious and fair discernment, is it not? I mean, for me, it's easy to be harsh and critical. <laughs> like, I don't need any practice with that. So, um, how do we grow? How do we grow in that area? Now, I'm going to sound like a broken record, because I feel like I talk about this every week, especially as, been, as we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, because this is the point that Jesus makes every week. He's like, look to your father. Who is your father? And that's what he's doing in verses 7 through 11. Again, people have struggled with, how does 7 and 11 fit with verses 1 to 6? Well, if you want to know how to do verses 1 to 6 well, you have to understand who your father is in verses 7 to 11. So again, in verse 7, Jesus kind of gives this command of ask, seek, knock, and a promise Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks will have it opened. So we have a command and a promise. And then verses 9 to 11, that's where we get his argument. So he kind of makes these statements. Do this. God will deliver. And then we get the argument, like last week, from the lesser to the greater. Last week he's like, God cares about the birds and the lilies of the field. Won't he care about you? Now he says, hey, you, as a terrible and evil human being, know how to care well for your child. And if he's hungry, you don't give him a rock and say, here you go, this will fill you up. It'll fill fill you up, it'll sit heavy in your stomach. There you go. He doesn't say that. No, he says, look, you who are evil know how to give give good gifts. So obviously your father will know how to give good gifts to you. We're seeing the relationship that God has towards us that he was not condemning us, he did not hate us, he was not harsh with us. Although we were pigs, although we were dogs, he was gracious to us. He is the one who answers, and that is his heart. You know, we can all probably think of people that you try to get in touch with them, you try to call them, and they never answer. If you don't have anybody in your life like that, it it may be you. But uh, we've we've all got those people It's like, oh, they never answer their phone. Our Father is not like that. Our Father is not like that. 
Here's our third point. Our Heavenly Father is gracious with us. Now, you may feel like, Pastor Mark, that's a little kind of duh, don't you think? But this is what Jesus says. And I don't, I'm not going to be ashamed of not coming up with a clever way to phrase this or come up with some powerful new theological truth that's going to make your head spin because this is what Jesus goes back to time and time again. He says, this is your Father. He is gracious. And that's what we need to hear because we are most prone as Christians to believe that God does not want to hear us. For those of you who are not Christians, God is this way. And every fiber of our being, in our natural selves, apart from Christ, wants to go the other way, believing that God is a harsh taskmaster. But God has said, no, I am not this way. I'm a gracious Father. Now, this should change us. Whether whether we're hearing it for the first time or whether we've heard it a million times. And you may be in this room. There's, there's two camps of people in this room. There's, there's those of you who do not believe in Christ and those of you who do. And I want to speak to a moment for those of you who don't. This offer to ask, seek, knock is for you as well. Do you believe that God will actually answer you? When you think of your life, You may look at all the junk, all the sin, all the nastiness and the evil, and you may think, God could not possibly care about me. He couldn't possibly want to answer that door. Why would he? But here Jesus says, everyone who asks receives. Everyone. Will you ask? And by ask, What I mean is, will you believe? Will you say, Jesus, will you save me? Cry out for mercy. You see, we stand condemned before a holy and magnificent God. But Jesus paid the price for what you have done on the cross. And he says, if you will call out to me and trust in what I have done, I will save you. Not because of anything you've done, but because I love you. And it's not like he wants us to jump through a bunch of hoops. He's saying the cost to get in is to admit that you can't pay to get in and that I love you enough to die for you. That's the price. It costs you nothing except your whole life. It costs you everything. But it's free. I invite you to ask. To ask. For the Christians here today, this call is to you as well. There's been a point in your life where you did open that door and Christ came in. But here's a little fun thing about the Greek in this phrase. It's an ongoing ask. It's not an ask once. This is ongoing. Yes, we ask once and Christ comes in. He gives us His Spirit. We are His. We are sealed. But also at the same time, we have this relationship with our Father and we can continue to ask. We can continue to come before a good and holy God who is our Father and He provides our daily bread. He doesn't lead us into temptation. He forgives us of our sin. All of those things we find in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is reminding us to ask. 
and to ask and to ask because your father does not grow weary and he doesn't ignore those phone calls. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to call because he's right there beside you and his spirit is in your heart. He says, will you ask? Cry out and ask because he is the father who longs to hear. Sometimes we walk through tragedy because you may hear me say, ask, and you're like, but Pastor Mark, I have, I have walked through such difficulty. How could God possibly answer me in the midst of my pain? Especially when we talk about the question of death and we think about the school shooting this past week. Um, a friend of, a, uh, of the, the, the chaplain uh, at that school Uh, He's also a Bible teacher there. His name is Matthew Sullivan, and he's actually a friend of a friend of mine, which I didn't know until this friend of mine kind of reached out and asked for prayer just for uh, for his friend. And it kind of made it personal for me, and I was sitting there thinking, like, Lord, what do I even pray for in this moment? Because what could he... I, I can't even begin to comprehend what he's walking through. What does he need? But I was reminded that I don't know what to really pray for or even ask for at this moment. But God does, and God does answer. And God will care for both Matthew Sullivan and the rest of the people at that school. And we may wonder, God, where are you in the midst of those tragedies? I don't have an easy answer to that. I do know that the Lord doesn't remove tragedy, but he does redeem it doesn't remove it from us, but he does redeem it. And he uses it in our lives for his good and his glory, even when we can't understand. And even in the midst of terrible things, you do get pictures of God's goodness shining through. You see it in the response of the police officers when they came to the school. I don't know if you've gotten to see the video. Um, It's not for the faint of heart because it's graphic. But I remember watching and just weeping at the courage of the men to go into the school to confront evil. We also see the response of the principal who gave her life to try to confront the shooter and of a nine-year-old little girl who tried to pull the fire alarm to warn her classmates. All of these in that tragedy are pictures of our Father's goodness. God does not remove tragedy, but he does redeem it. And as we come and bring our requests before him, sometimes he's not going to just, yeah, here, let me take it away. Maybe he will, maybe he won't, but a lot of times he says, let me show you who I am through this. He is our gracious father. Oh, all right. This isn't the end of the section. Verse 12 sums everything up. This verse is in parallel with what we find all the way back in chapter 5, verse 17. That's kind of how we know that this verse in 5.17 kind of say this is the teaching block of the sermons because they, they match one another. And you have Jesus saying, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, so also do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It's the mention of the law and the prophets that, that make them go together. Whatever you wish that others would do, unto, or do to you, do also to them. Famous famous phrase, the golden rule, well-known. One of my seminary professors in Kentucky said that the last words given by the Kentucky DMV to those about to take their driving test are, treat other drivers as you would want to be treated. 
I assume there are other rules for, that they have to drive. It's not just that, but uh, it's interesting. They kind of sum up driving with that. Huh. Jesus here gives a positive command. There are other sayings of, uh, around the time of Jesus. Uh, one is by Rabbi Hillel. He came a little bit before Jesus. He said, don't do to others what you wouldn't want done to yourself. So that's kind of the negative side of things. Jesus takes that and makes it a positive statement. So it's not just refrain from doing these things over here, but my whole life needs to be lived a particular way. I need to be doing things a particular way. In short, he's saying, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. The New Testament witness uh, brings this to the fore a lot. Galatians 5.14 reads, For the whole law, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13.8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. There's this expectation that for the Christian, we owe one another love. That is, we, we must love one another. We must do that. God, ultimately, is the fulfillment of the law because the law is an extension of who He is. God does this. God is the one who fulfills the law. He is the one who treats others the way that He would want to be treated. This, basic, this statement sums up the entirety of what Jesus has been saying. How do you interact with the world? What kind of person are you? Not that I just do things externally. Nobody wants to lo- the other people to love them in just an external way. You don't want someone to say, oh yeah, I care about you, but then in their heart actually hate you. No, we want wholehearted love for one another. And where does it come from? The love that our Father has for us. Here's the fourth point. Interact with the world in the same way our Father interacts with us. Interact with the world in the same way our Father interacts with us. That's what Jesus is telling us in verse 12 when it's coupled with the rest. Whether it's coming from uh, about judging others or asking and seeking, all of this, Jesus sums it up with interact with the world the way the Father interacts with you, the way that you would want to be, would want to receive those things. Jesus isn't just giving a pithy statement, but he's telling us who we ought to be. This is who the whole person is. We've been, talk, you know, uh, uh, we've been talking about Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. You know, be whole or be perfect as your Father is whole or perfect. And this is it. We ought to be changed if we truly believe in Christ. One question for you in application. How do others experience you? Do they experience you in this way? As someone who has an others-first mentality or a me-first mentality? And I think the answer, if, if you find the answer of, ugh, I think I have a me-first mentality, I don't think people would really receive me the way I would want to be, or, or receiving me in the way that I hope. Jesus has an answer. Ask, seek, knock, look to the Lord. He will make you into that type of person. Here's our summary for today. Because of our Father, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I put that phrase, because of our Father, in there because we understand, yes, I need to do unto others as I would have them do unto me. Like, that's famous in the world. But, it's not just because I want them to do it the way, or treat me the way 
I shouldn't just treat them the way I would want to be treated, but I have been treated this way by a father, and that needs to change me. So whether it's judging, discerning, or just responding to the world around us, may we have a posture that mimics our father. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you loved us first from your whole being. We thank you that you were kind and gracious to us. Help us to judge fairly, graciously. Help us to know when we need to speak the truth and help us to trust you and ask, seek, knock. May we have those types of hearts. May we believe that you are indeed good and you long for us to cry out to you. Help us to be that kind of people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.